I think you've got a fish. <gasps> Pull it up. Hey! That's a fishy. Bring him in. Hey! I got one. Oh, please. Can you touch him? You can, you can touch him. Can you touch him? This is your first fish. Yeah, I catch him. What name is he? I don't know. What do you want to name him? Um, um, free. What do you want to name him? Free. Free? He's a nice fishy. He's beautiful. Can you touch him? Touch him. You can touch him. I'm, hold, I'm holding him up. I can't. You want to? This is your first fish. You can pet him. Give him a little touch. Just be pet, gentle. gentle. Does he like me? He likes you. I touched him. Okay, we're going to put him back in the water, okay? Okay. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> you know what's funny about fishing is that if, if you've never done it before, it can be a little scary. It can be. I can't tell you how many times I've had people in my boat that are adults, a lot larger than that little boy there, who are afraid to touch the fish. They don't quite sure know what to do with it. But if uh, you weren't paying attention just a little bit earlier, yes, today's sermon is once again about fishing, about fishing for men. Maybe you weren't here a couple of weeks ago on Father's Day. If you weren't, let me recap for you real quick what I did. I was talking about how on Father's Day of, well, pretty much across America, it's the day that's somewhat synonymous with fishing. And so I was drawing a parallel between fishing for fish and fishing for people. And the reason for that is, is that Jesus is interested in making sure that anybody who calls themselves by his name, a Christian, or a Christ follower, or whatever you want to choose to self-identify as, if you are a person who is trying to become more like Christ, then one of the things that we all need to know is that he wants us to learn how to fish for men, how to fish for people. So if you were here a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that there are three things that are extremely important when it comes to fishing, one of which is equipment, the second is presentation, and the third is timing. I went through a lot of emphasis on equipment and presentation and that it's so essential that you have the right equipment and that you use the right presentation when you're working with people or when you're trying to catch fish. And that all of those things, the equipment and the presentation, can make the difference between whether or not you're going to catch a fish or whether or not you're going to scare a fish away. But the one thing that we never have any kind of control over is the timing. Timing is not up to us. It's up to God. We can't control what people will think. We can't control those circumstances or that environment. And certainly in fishing, we cannot control what those fish think. You cannot control the timing of the weather. You can't control whether or not somebody was there before you. You can't do that. So what do I mean by fishing for people? Let me give you a brief explanation. What that really means is when you live your life in such a way that you become a person who is attractive to others, not because of your looks, not because of your abilities, but because of the way that you love them or you love God or you make much of God or you make much of what God's love is for you and how he's shown that. Those are some of the ways about how we fish. Now, what do I mean by casting? Casting is simply this. It's being the kind of person who is a bringer or an includer, the kind of person who builds a bridge with somebody. 
In other words, every single person in here has the opportunity to cast for people by inviting them to come to a church service or a church function or something along those lines. And if not that, then at the very least, having a conversation with them that might lead you to a place where you could share something about Christ with them. Now, it's not easy. I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. It's not easy fishing for people. In fact, there are There are many of us, if not all of us, who have some type of epic fail moment where we were trying to witness or share our faith with somebody or we knew that we should have and we didn't. But if you are the kind of individual who, like me, who has said to Christ, I give you my life, you can can do anything you want to with it now, Lord. One of the first things he does, in fact, it's the first thing that he does is he gives you something back, and it's his spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. We are equipped, those who are Christians are equipped with the best possible equipment necessary to fish for people. Now, the reason why I say that is this, is that with this download of the Holy Spirit into our lives, with this filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, there's something that comes with that. I want to read to you a verse. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Some of you may already know this, but let me read this to you. It says this. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I want to read that one more time. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Some of you may be wondering sometimes, I know that many people have come to me and they have said to to me, and I know that they've been thinking about it a long time before they ever said it to me, I wonder if I really am a Christian. There are times where I don't feel like like I really am living my life the way that God would want me to live, and I don't seem to have as much energy or initiative. Well, let me share with you that if you are indeed a Christian, if the Holy Spirit does live inside of you, here is something that you need to know is that the Holy Spirit is trying to give you desires to do things that please God, and not only that, but it gives you the power to be able to do it too. And that's fantastic news because left to ourselves, we really wouldn't have the desire nor would we have the power. But because of God's Holy Spirit living within us, we are well equipped. And if you wanna know what pleases God, you really wanna know what pleases God, it's fishing for people. It's finding a way to be able to build a bridge with them. It's finding a way to be able to be attractive enough to them so that when they see you, they go, all right, maybe there is a God. Maybe there is. And they become attracted to him as a direct result of us. We are the bait. Today I want to continue that conversation, but I want to simplify things even a little bit more, and I only want to talk about two things, two facts about fishing for men or fishing for people that you need to keep in mind, all of you who are believers, you need to keep in mind. And if you're not a believer here today, there's some stuff I want to talk to you about too. But if you are a Christian and you want to please God with your life and the Holy Spirit is living inside of you and working inside of you, giving you the desire and the power to be able to do what pleases God, then you need to understand these two facts about fishing. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that on an average day, I will make some 3,000 casts when I am fishing. That's a lot of casting. Now, what I also shared was that the ratio to catching fish isn't that great. Sometimes. Sometimes I may catch about 15 to 25 fish. So if you take the 3,000 on average casts and average it out, the number of fish that I'm catching, it's somewhere about 120 to 300 casts that I'm making just to catch one fish. Now, if you look at those odds right there, you would say, well, that's, 
that's really, he's not that good. <laughs> it gets worse. When you think about it, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of fish that are in these rivers and in these lakes where I am fishing. So I want you to think about every single time I'm flipping a bait out there of any kind, there are fish all over the place going, no, no, no pity, no, no, they don't want anything to do with it. And I am facing rejection constantly from these stupid fish. Sorry, I, I do get frustrated with fishing sometimes. And there's the fact number one. Fact number one. When you fish, you are going to be rejected a lot. And I'm not just talking about fishing for fish. I'm talking about fishing for people. See, Jesus once said this to his disciples. Luke chapter 10, verse 16. Quote, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me, and anyone who rejects you is rejecting me, and anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. Jesus was known as the stone that the builders rejected. When John wrote about him, he said he came to the people whom he loved, and yet they rejected him. Jesus constantly faced rejection all the time. No one likes to be rejected. Nobody. Nobody likes to be ridiculed by anyone, especially by a friend or somebody that's a family member, or somebody that you know that you were kind of hoping to maybe build some sort of a relationship with. Nobody wants to be rejected. And it can be hard when you're trying to be a bringer and a recluder, when you're trying to be the kind of individual who will be a bait and be attracted to somebody. It's hard when you go and you experience that rejection. It, it, it really does. It sucks to lose friends, to have them, after you've shared something with them, kind of pull away from you maybe even distance themselves from you or talk about you. Maybe talk about you with other people and you can see the change in their relationship toward you. I know that I've experienced that. And if you've been a fisher for men uh, for any length of time, I know that you've experienced it too. And maybe you're like me. Sometimes you've probably been tempted to think, man, if I had the kind of powers and abilities that Jesus had, <laughs> well, that'd make it a whole lot easier to witness to people. But keep in mind, Jesus had the kind of powers and abilities that Jesus had and he still got rejected all the time. And so rejection is a part of fishing. Any, any time, any time that you are going to be fishing, you are going to be rejected. And part of the reason why that's so bad for us is because we like to be popular. We do. Not all of us want to be on some sort of a stage talking in front of people. In fact, most people are afraid of that sort of thing. But we all want to be well-liked. We all want to be the kind of person that when somebody does know you, that they care about you or that they at least have nice and kind things to say about you, that your name would be safe upon their lips. Jesus was extremely popular, extremely popular. In fact, there are two separate occasions where we're told that over 20,000 people were following Jesus around like this huge flock of sheep, praising him and all of his amazing teaching abilities while they were snacking on the refreshments that he had supernaturally provided for them. He's a very popular individual. Everybody wanted to be a part or see something to do with the freak show. There's miraculous signs. People are getting healed. People are getting raised from the dead. All kinds of stuff. And never lose sight of this other fact, which is this. As much as you think that entertainment is a major in our culture, in our society, the same thing was true in that culture and society too. Even beyond 
our ideas and form of entertainment. They enjoyed it too. Jesus was a very popular and entertaining individual. But even though that there was 20,000 in one instance and another 20,000 plus in another instance, all of these people following around, telling him how awesome and amazing he is and enjoying all the blessings that they were receiving from them, every single one of those people rejected Jesus. I mean, turned tail and walked away. And I think that sometimes it's easy for us to forget about how that really gnawed at him, how that really affected him made him grumpy even and frustrated. And here's a quote from Jesus himself that I want to read to you guys, and I want you to listen to the angst and the frustration that's in his voice as he deals with rejection. It's in Matthew chapter 11, verses 21 through 24, and it won't be on the screen, so here's what it says. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon, Tyre, I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on judgment day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No. You will go down to the place of the dead, for if the miracles I did for you had been done in Wiccan Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on Judgment Day than you. Can you hear that frustration? Can you hear him saying, you're cursed. And the reason why you're cursed is because I was here, I was doing all this amazing and awesome, super cool fishing for you, right in front of you, casting the bait perfectly, my equipment's fine, my presentation's fine, timing was perfect, but yet you reject me, and as a direct result, I am grumpy with it, and you're going to pay for it. It's frustration. It hurts. Rejection is not pleasant, especially when it is that you know that the thing that you're wanting to give to this person has nothing to do with gain for you. It has everything to do with gain for them. They are missing out. All you're trying to do is just give them something of good. They reject it. We will be rejected a lot. But if you're going to keep casting and keep casting and keep casting, you're going to need some power which the Holy Spirit provides, and the energy which the Holy Spirit provides, and you're going to need that desire to continually be replenished because without it, you'll have no resiliency. Our prayer should constantly be that the Holy Spirit would refuel us with the power and the energy and the desire to do what pleases God, to fish for people. God is working in us, and so do not stop casting. Do not stop being a bringer and an includer. Do not stop building bridges with those who you live by, those who you go to school with, those that you work with, those that you interact with in a community, you never, ever, ever, ever know which cast it will be. It may be 120 attempts. It may be 300 attempts or more. But the moment that that person decides to take the bait, it will be the best decision that they have ever made in their life. And you and I are witnesses of that. Because if you and I aren't looking back at that moment when we finally took the bait as one of the best, if not the best decision in our lives, then guess what? We're a pathetic fisherman. And it's going to be seen all over us. And I can promise you this. Nobody. Nobody is so dumb that when they see a salesman come to them, that they don't know if that salesman or saleswoman doesn't believe in their own product. We're all that smart, aren't we? 
See, we are going to get rejected a lot. And for that, God has fueled us or filled us with his Holy Spirit, giving us the desire, the desire and the power to be able to do what pleases him. And what pleases him is to keep casting. Never stop fishing for people. Never stop being a bringer and includer. Here's the second fact. Never rule a fish out. Never rule a fish out. Now, this most of the time applies to fishing for people, not necessarily fishing for fish, although there's been plenty of times where guys like me have been out fishing, completely ruling out a particular type of fish, and then all of a sudden, boom, surprise, you catch something that you weren't even planning on catching. It's awesome. But primarily what I mean by this is fishing for men. Never rule a fish out. Here's what we do. We profile or we prejudge people. That's what I mean by never ruling a fish out. We do that. We have this mentality, not all of us, and we don't necessarily do it all the time, but sometimes we have this mentality where we've kind of prejudged or we've profiled somebody and we believe that they're probably not going to be all that receptive to the gospel, so why share? Why even talk about it? Why even go through the, the bother of getting rejected or maybe even losing a friend or respect from somebody? I want to be popular. Well... When we profile people, when we prejudge people, it's almost as if we are saying literally, if your opportunity to be able to go to heaven depends upon me, go to hell. Because I'm not going to share with you. I've already determined in my mind through my profiling and through my prejudging that you're just not going to want it. Now, this happened in Jesus' day, and it certainly happens in our day, and I want to give you guys a couple of examples of that. An example, one, would be in Jesus' day, there was one particular disciple who... His name was Matthew, and Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was an educated man. He uh, more than likely had spent quite a bit of time learning this trade. It might have been something that his family had been involved in. Um, he was working for Herod, who was the Roman ruler of the region where Matthew was tax collecting, which happened to be around the Galilee region and around Capernaum and that area there would have been his hometown. And so this is where Matthew is at. And a lot of the people who looked at him didn't like him. And the reason for it is Matthew, being a Hebrew or a Jew, was actually collecting taxes from the Hebrews or from the Jews in order to give this money to the Roman rulers. And so a lot of people who looked at him thought, man, this guy's a traitor. He's a turncoat. He's a muddy, grubbing, cutthroat tax collector. We don't like tax collectors in our day and age. Sorry if there are any of you who are out there. But as a general rule, we're not really a big fan of IRS agents. Well, he would have been kind of the equivalent of that back then, taking money from people and giving it to people that they didn't think really were going to use it right or do the right things with it. And people weren't being blessed by the Roman government at that point in time, and so they were really opposed to that. And so people had kind of written off a guy like Matthew, and I'm going to go into that a little bit, but here's the profile. If we were to look at the profile of a wealthy individual... Wealthy, educated, well-established, a social network that's a prominent figure within commerce, within community. And oftentimes when we profile that kind of an individual, here's one of the things that we also tack onto it, which is they're probably not going to be receptive to the gospel because they really don't have a need for God. They've got money, they've got their wealth, they've got their social atmosphere, they're all very well connected. And we all know that when God says, come on, come to me, he asks you to give up everything. And so we've just kind of determined in our mind that the wealthy oftentimes would never want anything to do with God because there's so much for them to have to give up and they really don't have a need for God, so why even try? I know I've heard people talk like that. But 
I can't tell you how many people that I know that are wealthy who are hurting. They're frustrated. They found out that money doesn't buy you love or hope or happiness or joy. It doesn't get you what you thought it would get you. And now they're not quite sure who their friends are. And there's nothing left for them that they really can get excited about because if they really wanted it, they've already had it. And they're empty. And we think sometimes that they won't. But Matthew did. Matthew did. And when Matthew came to know Jesus, one of the very first things he did was he started casting for his friends because he knew, oh, man, these guys need God just as bad as what I did. And Matthew actually wrote about it in his own words. Let me read this to you. It's in Matthew 9, starting in verse 9 through 11. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector booth. Quote, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to come to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, quote, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? <laughs> scum. What a wretched thing to say about another individual, especially coming out of the mouths of the Pharisees who were supposed to be the examples of what a grown-up and mature believer in God looks like. So the mature, grown-up, believer in God people are calling these tax collectors and they've profiled all of these men who are the wealthy and then all of their clan and their, their groups and everything. They, They've kind of profiled them all, and they've summed it all up in one word, which is, these guys are scum. They're scum. What about us? Do we do that? Do we profile and prejudge people? Do we determine that they would reject God, and so we decide, ah, they're not going to have a need for him. They're not going to want him, in spite of the fact that they may be hurting. That's one example of why a person may rule out casting for somebody is because they consider them scum. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you don't consider those who are wealthy, those who have educated themselves and they now have this great social status. Maybe you don't consider them to be scum. Maybe you have a different idea of what scum is. You have your own definition. I think we all do, don't we? We kind of profile people. Well, Jesus was teaching his disciples that... Regardless of their idea of scum, everybody was worth casting for. And so Jesus took his disciples on a little field trip, a little excursion fishing trip, and he took them into an area called Samaria. This is where the scumbags live, if you're not familiar with the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were kind of a half-breed group of people that came from a mixed ancestry of both pagan and Jewish um, where they lived was actually in close proximity to Jerusalem. There's this little area to the north of them is Galilee and to the south of them is Judea. And, and this group of people that were kind of the mix between pagan ancestry and Jewish ancestry complicated the relationship between Samaritans and Jews by worshiping the same God. 
They actually worship the same God, called by the same name. They changed things up a little bit. They only used the first five books of the Bible, and then they didn't pay any attention to the rest of it. And they decided to make their own little holy places, like Mount Gerizim instead of Mount Zion. And they built their own little makeshift temple and all these different things. And so the Jews really hated them because they felt like what they were doing was perverting all of the precious things that they had to them and their group. So out of all people, they despised the Samaritans the most. They despised them so much that not only would they not eat with them or deal with them or associate with them, they wouldn't even contaminate their soles of their shoes with Samaritan soil. They would literally walk all the way around just to get to where they wanted to go. That's some pretty intense scumbag hatred, if you ask me. So Jesus decides, I know where I want to go fishing. Samaria. So off they go. Walking on up into Samaria. And as the story goes, they come to this place where there's a well, and Jesus sends 12 disciples to go and buy food for 12 disciples. Does anybody else think that that's kind of like the typical man thing? You know, you could send one girl go out, and she could probably buy enough food to feed an army, but it's going to take 12 guys to figure out enough food for 12 guys. (laughs) So he sends 12 guys out to buy food for 12 guys, 13 guys, including Jesus. And they all take off. I think he wanted to get rid of them, to be honest with you. And he plops himself down next to this well. And along comes this woman, Samaritan woman. She looks at him. Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. And her response to him is, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. This ain't right. And Jesus is like, girl, let me tell you what I know about you. Let me tell you what I know about God. And the next thing you know, they're having this awesome conversation, this beautiful conversation. And this woman comes to a place where she recognizes that this is indeed the Messiah. This is the one. This is God. Now, the story goes on, and as the disciples come back, they see that Jesus is talking to this woman, and it literally says that they were surprised to see him talking to her, but they didn't want to get too close and They didn't want to ask, why are you talking to her? What do you want with her? They couldn't piece it together. See, in their minds, she's a scumbag. This isn't the kind of individual that should deserve the goodness of God. And if we were to profile this person, this is basically what we would see is a poor, uneducated, lacks discipline, isn't trustworthy, repulsive behaviors or lifestyle. Do you have anybody in your world that you would look at like that? That you would say that quite honestly, everything about them just repulses you? And the last thing that you want to do is fish for them because what happens if you actually attracted them? Are you going to invite them to church? You're going to show up with that scumbag, have them sit next to you with all their repulsive behaviors. See, once again, without even thinking about it, we could default to the kind of attitude that says, if the goodness of God is ever going to show up in your life, it's not going to happen through me. Go to hell. We profile, we prejudge, we eliminate people by not even casting for them. But Jesus taught his disciples that there's a different way to profile people. Not the way that we do it, but the way that he does it. I want to go back to the story of this party at Matthew's house. See these Pharisees, they came up, they walk up to Jesus' disciples, and they start asking, why does your teacher eat with such scum? 
Well, it just so happens that Jesus overhears him. And he knows who he's referring to. He's referring to Matthew, who he's just invited to be a part of this team, who he's invited to come and be a part of something that would ultimately change the world, that would ultimately change you and I. And Jesus had the forethought, had the insight to know that. But these guys look at Matthew and they think that he's a scum and all the rest of his friends. And so Jesus says to them, healthy people. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus profiles people differently. He wants the people who know that they're sick. He wants the people who know that they're sinners. He wants the people who know that they got guilt and they got stuff that they just can't seem to be able to get rid of and it's hurting them. It's killing them. It's crushing them. Did you know that there are hundreds and thousands, millions of fish that are out there? And you know what? There's a lot of them who think that they're fine. They don't have any problem whatsoever with where they stand with God and faith and beliefs and all kinds of stuff. They're totally cool. I meet them all the time. They have no desire whatsoever for any kind of additional God stuff in their life. They're cool. And they'll tell me that. Yeah, whatever. I'm cool. I'm good. Yeah, no, I'm good. Lots and lots and lots. But then there are some who genuinely are sick and they're hurting and they're out there When that moment comes when you say to them, hey, did you know that God really does love you? He's had your name figured out and written before he even put down the foundations of this earth. Wouldn't you like to get to know him at least a little bit and just experience what his love is like? Because I know a great place where you can. This church. This church is a great place where they can. You know, God has blessed us. We've been equipped with some pretty stupid, amazing stuff here. We have a lot of great equipment. It may not be the best in the business, but God has equipped this church extremely well. And I think that our presentation is good. I think that when a person comes into this place that they're going to get to understand the gospel. We're going to explain it in such a way that people can grasp it, that they can obtain at least a healthy knowledge of what it is that they're supposed to do when they walk out these doors. But the problem is, is that's all in here. How are they going to go from out there to in here if nobody's out there attracting them to come in here? People just don't drive by this church and go, oh, whoa, that looks awesome. I think we want to go because they have a nice sign and a prison yard. No. I mean, it would be awesome to clean this place up and there are designs and plans to do that. But the fact of the matter is, is that we'll never replace an army of amazing people who go out there and just love people. And then be a a bringer and includer like, hey dude, you wanna come to church with me? You wanna go to this barbecue thing? You wanna go to a baseball game? You wanna go to this? You wanna go to that? And 120 to 300 casts of that might be, no, 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 you fool, you freak. I don't want anything to do with that. Leave me alone. Rejection, it's a fact, it's gonna happen. But when that one time comes, it changes your life. And from that point on, you're like, ah. Man, God used me to do that with that person, and I want that again. Because now that person knows him and knows his love 
And they can come here, and I can trust that there are people here that are going to love them and care for them and embrace them, in spite of the fact that they may have repulsive, stupid behaviors that still need to be corrected and changed. But when God's Holy Spirit enters into them, what happens? He gives them the desire and the power to be able to do what pleases them. And now they've got to see a people that they can look at for modeling and example. They're out there. Folks, I'll say it again. I said it a couple weeks ago. I'm going to keep saying it for the rest of my life. If we don't fish for people, nobody will. Nobody will. It has to be us. We must equip ourselves. We must practice our presentation. We must trust in God's timing and all of that. We must know that we're going to face rejection, and we must never, ever, ever, ever rule a fish out. Just Keep casting. One day, <laughs> you're going to get to set the hook. I promise. I promise. Let's pray. Lord, oh, I'm so glad that you did not stop casting for me. I'm so grateful that you have allowed me to be a part of your plan. I, Lord, I, I know that you know this. I never dreamt of this. I never thought ever that I would be standing on a platform talking to people about you. But you've invited me to do so when I'm certainly not a qualified individual to do so. So I thank you. Thank you for letting me have this chance to just talk about you. Lord, I need you to do what only you can do. So many people in here Some of them I know love you. Some of them I know might be convicted about what's going on today, but some of them are encouraged because they're great at fishing and they're constantly fishing. They understand the things that I've taught. They could have taught them, Lord. You could have used anybody to do this. There's so many of us that know that rejection is just a part of being a a bringer and includer, being a part of a fisherman, being a part of a fisherwoman, anybody who's fishing for people. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know that your spirit is living in us and help us to know what it's like to to feel that desire all of a sudden to, to go and do something, even though it might bring nervousness or tension or anxiousness. Help us to overcome that with that power. Help us to really do what pleases you, Lord, and not to become burdened by the rejection and let's not rule anybody out. And maybe, Lord, there are people that are in this room right now who are thinking, you know, Does this really apply to me? I mean, am I really the kind of individual that you would love? Am I really the kind of individual that you would care for, that you would extend your love toward? Maybe that's you. Maybe it's not just a person who's never been a Christian. Maybe it's some of you who are Christians. You've been been deceived into thinking that God loves you less because you still have sin in your life. God does not love you less. He cannot love you less because of sin or love you more because of your righteousness. He loves you because of who he is, not because of who you are or what you will be. But so often there are some of us who we believe that God's love ends here when I've done this thing or God's love ends here when I've said this thing or God's love ends here because obviously he can't love a person like me. And if that's you, you're... I want to tell you in the nicest way possible, you're wrong. God's love does not know that end. And if you're willing to believe that today, you're willing to trust me with just 
enough faith and confidence that what I'm telling you is the truth, I want to ask you today just to give your life to God and invite him to fill you with his spirit. And then see for yourself. So I'm going to offer a simple prayer. You can make it your own. If you want to, you can change the words. It doesn't matter as long as it comes from your heart. But here's a sample prayer. God, I want to believe that you love me. I want to believe that you have a plan and a purpose for my life. I want to believe that your love has no end for me. And so I give you my life. I, 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 I give you it. I, the sin. I give you my desires, my, my will. I give you my life. You can do with it what you want. And as far as the Holy Spirit, I, I want that too. Would you, please, would you please fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the desire and the power to do what pleases you? And if that's your prayer, maybe you're even feeling it right now, what it's like. And if you're a believer who is saying, I'm sorry, God, I've... I've not been living for you the way that I should. I, please, fill me with your spirit. Give me this desire. Give me this power. Maybe even you're feeling it right now. Father, you are good. Man, you are good. And I pray that today this place has changed. I pray that this community has changed. This church has changed. Our families are changed. Our schools are changed. This place has changed all because of you and your love this in Jesus name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing through this song one more time or sing this song. And I'm going to ask you to make this song your prayer. I'm going to ask you to make this song a form of worship for you. We're also going to take an offering. This is a way that this church survives. If you are a member of this church or you're a regular attender here, we ask you to please continue to support this church so that we can continue to reach out. After this song, I'm going to come back up and I'll, uh, I'll dismiss this. That's, that's true. It doesn't. And I hope you experience that today. I hope you do. And I hope everybody that's around you experiences that too. Never stop casting. Today, if you made that prayer your own, I want to invite you to please grab one of these new believer packets. It's by the door. Grab that, open that thing up, read through it. Let somebody know that you, that you gave your life to Christ today. Let me know. Let one of the other pastors know. We'd be happy to help you get going on that. If you'd like to take communion today, please feel free to do so. There's, it's available for you at either side of the room. And if you'd like prayer, make your way forward today while other people are making their way out. And go out and go fishing today. God bless you guys.